everyone. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. I am excited to be back from our summer plot twist doing a mini book club back to the interview format. And my guest today is Mark Kenny. He is the president and chief hippo of Hippo Solutions. And you will learn more about what that is and the significance behind the hippo during our conversation. He is, besides being an author and president of Hippo Solutions, he's a keynote speaker, and his focus is working with leaders who want to eliminate territorial thinking, create an unstoppable strategic alignment, and build a stronger leadership team. He's been doing this work for over 25 years and has improved the results of teams in hundreds of organizations. He originally was in IT and operations and then later moved into keynote speaking and consulting. And we had such a fabulous conversation and there's so much synergy. We are both huge fans uh, and users of Pat Lencioni's work, and we are members of his Consultant and Practitioner Alliance program about building organizational help. And just really interesting to talk about how he approaches it and just he showed his own humanity. And it was such a lovely conversation. I think that you're going to get so much wisdom and inspiration and insights that whether or not you are a formal people, you're things that you can do today to start to be more effective because the reality is that everything we do is in collaboration and connection with other people. So here we go. Enjoy. Wonderful. Well, Mark, I am super excited to be talking with you today. And you know, when I was reading your book, I was like, oh, he's a fellow Pat Lencioni fan. And then I forgot, oh, we're both in his consultant and practitioner alliance group. No wonder we're both like organizational health, like geeks or whatever. So anyway, I'm super excited to be talking with you and promote your new book and just talk all things teams. Thanks, Rosie. Thanks for the invitation. And yeah, I realized we were both part of that group as well. So similar, similar passions, I, su- I suspect. Yeah. Well, as I was reading, I was like, is he in Kappa Pro? Is he in Kappa Pro? And then I went back to your LinkedIn profile. I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So anyway, super, super excited to hear how you're applying that work. So we have to start with, I like, I'm obsessed with the name of your company and your title. So you are president and chief hippo of Hippo Solutions. And I know your book is called the Hippo Solution, which we're going to dive into. You have to tell me where the hippo thing came from. You know, I, So many people ask me that. It's funny, which is great, right? Because it's the perfect name because nobody forgets it and everybody asks me about it. And I wish I could tell you there was some big strategy behind how I named it that. But, you know, I used to be in software and IT and I started transitioning myself into something that was a little more um, making a difference in the world, if I could put it that way. So I rebranded, but I was like, I didn't want like, like, um, uh, strategic consulting services. I wanted something fun. Like this right. should be fun. And so I found a name. I finally settled on hippos because I've always kind of liked hippos and the domain name was available. That's the story. Now it's come to mean a lot since then, but really I just wanted to have some fun, get a name that people would remember. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love it. What, it it kind of reminds me when I was looking for Salveo partners at the time, I was like, okay, I want something that's different. Cause I was looking at boring names. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. And so then I went the route of Googling like Latin and Greek names for stuff and, and land right yes. on something. So I get asked all the time, what the heck is Salveo? It's the Latin word meaning to be well and in good health, but it does, it, it's a conversation starter. So I love it. Hippos are fun. 
You know, yeah, I love that. I love that name. And you know what? I did the same thing. I couldn't come up with the Latin name or whatever. So I finally went, okay, let's go to animals. So, but I did the same thing. That's great that you found something that, that made sense. That would probably be sparkles and unicorn, but they wouldn't take me seriously. So there you go. Right. Yep, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so I have to, I have to read this from your book because I was super curious about the hippo thing and, and the hippo solution. And you say hippos are one of the most territorial hostile animals on the planet. Um, Their nature is aggressive and unpredictable, not unlike some teams and departments tasked with creating critical, even tectonic shifts within an organization. Hippos require careful, sustained energy to navigate around and are an apt metaphor. And then you say going further, there is some hippo in all of us. It is a natural tendency to focus on our own goals, our own needs, and our own ambitions. So is there anything more you want to say about that as we start to tee up and talk specifically about your book? Well, um, you know, I was, I was going to pull out this little hippo. People wouldn't be able to see it. But like, we think it's so cute and adorable. And I don't know, like, have you ever been to a zoo and seen and seen hippos in a zoo. Oh, I love hippos. My niece used to be obsessed with hippos and I didn't realize how mean they were. Right. Well, you go to a zoo and you're like, oh, they're so docile and calm and just floating around. And that's what I thought too. And so I kind of grew to to love them as well. But yeah, it turns out they're like one of the most dangerous animals on the, on the planet, or at least not on the planet, but at least in, uh, in Africa, I think they're like the, the, the mammal that kills more people than, than any other mammal. So it was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. So I was, so I was like, I think that really is an apt metaphor because how often, how often do we have to tiptoe around what's going on in an organization? Not necessarily overt. Like sometimes it's like, this is my territory. I stay out of it. But a lot of times that's how we act. Oh, even, for sure. Even though maybe not necessarily intending that to be, I think that's just the natural reaction. Just like a hippo is naturally territorial. We're naturally that way as well. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny, you were talking about the danger of hippos in Africa. A couple of years ago, two of my sisters went to Botswana and they wanted me to go with them, but I had so much work travel that my husband's like, you cannot be gone like one more time, which I totally get. I'm like, I can't, I, I can't do it. But they were talking about how there was all these warning signs about the hippos and stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh. So, but, but yeah, then bringing it back to the workplace, yeah, I think about, and I would love to get your thoughts on this, but I think you're right. I think there is a lot of turf protection. I think there's a lot of territorial behaviors going on. And I think that the more that our world around us, because you talk about the VUCA world and we talk about the VUCA world and the work that we do as well. I feel like the more that our world is uncertain and disruptive around us, the more it almost invites and triggers that territorial behavior, because we're trying to clamp tightly to something that is familiar or something that feels like ours or feels like we have control. And I don't know about you, but I I feel like it's gotten worse in the organizations and teams that I work with. And we've had to kind of reset and go back to the basics because they're not even realizing that they're showing up as hippos. Right. That's exactly right. We, and there's some science behind that. Like we naturally close in when, when the world around us gets a little more, when, when we're exper- experiencing stress and tension or the world around us gets uncertain, like it's a natural reaction to kind of close in and, and look more, more inward, even before the world got crazy. I mean, I remember my very first job, um, I was in IT and the company hired a webmaster. I don't know if anybody remembers that back in the nineties, but I remember like my first reaction was like, no, we're supposed to do that. Like, like what? Like, no, that's our job. 
And like, where does that come from? Like, that was my first reaction. I still remember that and having that kind of jealousy of that, which I'm kind of embarrassed about now. But, but I mean, it just seems to be like, that's what we naturally do. We want to protect what we're doing. We want to protect our team. And, and it's just gotten worse because everything's uncertain. So I'm just going to, somebody once said to me recently, I'm, you know what, everything's going on. I'm just going to keep my head down and do my job. Well, how are we supposed to work together if we have that? that Yeah. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. So that is a great segue. So the full title of your book for, for, for the readers or fresh say for the listeners, go to the show page, there's links and everything is the hippo solution, eliminate territorial thinking and unleash the power of teams. And you start right off the bat of who is this for? And you say, this book is for every leader who must navigate their organization to a new destination, a new strategic direction, an important change, a key initiative, a different future. And then you say that reaching that destination is not a solo affair. Instead, the ability for leaders to get their teams, departments, and divisions working together without territorial thinking is the key to reaching that destination quickly and successfully. And I love that because a couple things is one, in our book and the work we do, we talk about five rehumanizing principles. And the fifth is find your tribe. And it's not go find people who are like you and be territorial. It's literally this isn't a solo journey, right? Culture and effectiveness is not HR's job or the C-suite's job. It's everybody's job. And so it's how do we reach across and seek out people who are different? You talk about, you know, getting to know somebody with everyone in the organization. Like we have to build those relationships and work together. So that first, I just love that because there's such alignment. And the other thing is that, and I would love to get your thoughts on this, but in the work that we do and kind of the focus of this podcast is yes, people who have formal leadership roles and responsibilities within an organization have an additional burden, but the reality is in this VUCA volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous environment, we need everybody to start to step up and show up as a leader and to not be territorial and to bring their best self forward. And so you reference a book that I also love, um, General Stanley McChrystal's Team of Teams and what he learned. And so can you talk a little bit about why in this VUCA environment, being able to get outside of ourselves and being able to collaborate with others and really work on a team level versus silos is so important. Well, you rest, you um, referenced general the crystals book. So he talks about how the world is becoming so complex and integrated. Like it's almost impossible to accomplish anything of significance without doing it as a team. And I've used that word as a team in a general sense, like not just my little team, but, but the whole team. I mean, I mean, who doesn't have initiatives that are crossing boundaries and functions these days? So how are you going to achieve anything of significance without reaching out to other people? Um, I was just watching a Netflix special. I don't know. It caught my eye. It was about black holes, which are kind of mysterious, but it was about this black hole initiative. They wanted to get a picture of a black hole, like what a black hole looks like and solve this paradox. Well, the only way they could do it, because the only way they could do it is to have a telescope the size of the whole earth, which obviously isn't going to happen. So instead, they had a collaboration with a bunch of different telescopes all around the world, piece them together, and produce, like totally raised our knowledge about a black hole and what it looks like. But that's only through all these different people working together. That would never happen if every telescope was just focused on their own, focused inwardly. I think that's an example of, like in the world we live in, if we're going to accomplish anything, of significance, move forward, have a great culture, 
um, have a place where people love to come to work. It's got to be together. So it doesn't matter if it's if our senior leaders even aren't doing a great job. I think sometimes we use that as an excuse. We all, we all have a responsibility to make it a great place and to accomplish something together. Yeah, absolutely. I always say that we can't we can't wait for our circumstances to be perfect or blame our circumstances for why we as individuals can't show up as great, why we can't show up and try to make a difference. Even if, you know, yeah, my senior leaders being a butthead or things aren't clear in the organization doesn't mean that there's not work to be done. But I think so often people like just throw their hands up and become apathetic and say, not my problem or our, this is an excuse why I can behave territorially or I can whatever, fill in the blank. And they use it as an excuse to justify kind of their, the icky part of our humanity getting the best of us, really. I love that. It's easier that way, but I love that. And when is the circumstances going to be perfect? And if we never. Wait that, that's <laughs> never going to happen, right? So right. let's go out and change what we can, where we're at. Absolutely. We're there well, and you know what I even love about, I mean, I know this book is specifically focused on organizations, but what it got me thinking too, is that if this past year and a half now, as this pandemic just continues to linger, has taught us anything like, you know what, you can't have a response to the pandemic without people working in teams. Or I even think about like those of us that are parents, you know, there's the saying, it takes a village, but oh my God, to get them through school with now you're in, now you're out, now you're hybrid, now you're this, now this parent has a meeting, this parent has to help with school. Like everything has become teamwork and collaboration on a neighborhood level at a family mm-hmm. level like you like nobody is a superhero you know we were watching iron man for like the nine million time last night like nobody is tony stark that can go and be like there on an island we have to have the other avengers right we have to have our, our colleagues and we have to have partners that can lift us up and support us because no one person has it all that is exactly right that's a great way to put it and as everyone's coming back to work and dealing with all this like if if we're not going to do it now when are we going to do it? Like, I think this is a great time as we're dealing with all this to say, Hey, how can we come together and work together to move forward? Yeah. Well, and it, it, and it takes another level of intentionality to do that. When for those that work at workplaces where people have been remote, either fully remote or partially remote. And how do you, how do you intentionally create teamwork when you don't, can't rely on those accidental run-ins or just popping over to someone's office or cube or running into them at, you know, whatever the break station is or whatever it might be. So I think that's a good segue. You have so many like tangible, great nuggets and steps in this book. So can you briefly talk about the five variables that impact how teams work together, like things to be paying attention to? Sure. Well, one of the things I looked at, because I went into a lot of different organizations to try and improve their software and processes and so forth. That's kind of my background. And then I was asking the question, like, why is it so hard to get people in different groups and departments to work together? And I think part of that is because it's not just, hey, let's work together or, hey, let's you know just focus on one thing or, hey, let's do training for the next few weeks. It's a continuous effort and it's multifaceted. Like there's different variables that are at play there. So that's where the idea came from. So the variables are the destination. Like we have to know where we're going. Like everybody has to have a clear picture of exactly where we're going. So we're all navigating to the same place. This department can't be navigating here. And this, well, this department is navigating someplace else. And a lot of times we think we're going to the same place, but we're really not. We have different views and perceptions of that. But then 
the uh, the second variable is the individual. I mean, how can we work together if individuals are focused inward or feeling stress and burnout or um, don't have the the mental wellness or even the physical wellness? Like if we as individuals aren't restored back to our peak capacity, especially after this season of change and disruption. I'm not even talking about COVID. I'm talking about the last five or 10 years. How can we work together? So we have to have some intentionality about the individual. And then we have to have some intentionality about individual team units. Our individual team units have to be strong um, in order for teams to work together. So that's a third variable is variable is teams. And then there's gaps the gaps between teams. How do we attack the gaps between teams so that they work together, share information? And then the last one is constraints. I came up with those first four variables and I was like, boy, that's still, it's just not quite that easy. There's constraints, organizational constraints. And really even since I wrote the book, I think there's team and personal constraints that keep that from happening. And so we need to address and remove some of those constraints as well. So I think what works is a multifaceted approach around all those five variables and having intentionality around all five of those. I love that. And and obviously you go into depth in the, with each of those in the book, which I also appreciate. And what I love about your multifaceted approach is I think that too often people try to oversimplify things because of our own discomfort with the complexity but the oversimplification leads to like what I call a whack-a-mole approach, right? And it's not, it's not effective. And so I love that, you know, as you talk about, you know, having that destination, one of our rehumanizing principles is build a lighthouse. It's having that clarity of purpose, clarity of values, clarity of where we're going on the organizational level, but also the individual level. And are they kind of synced up? But you also talk about that team level, which is so important because how often does an organization have a clearly established why or purpose, or they actually have done the work to operationalize their core values into concrete behaviors, but it falls apart three levels down, or they're ignoring and they're not, there's not an embracing of accountability. Well, this division or these leaders over there aren't really showing up in alignment with who we say we are, or who we want to be, but they perform. So we're going to ignore it, which then just erodes all integrity, all credibility, all, all that stuff. Right. One of the things that you talk about that I love, and you said this is so often we hear about break down the silos, break down the silos, break down the silos. And you have a really interesting perspective on this about not breaking down the silos, but looking at the gaps. So can you just say a little bit more about that? Cause I thought that was fascinating. Well, I think silos are actually healthy. And, and I should say, I, I understand the sentiment, like to break down the silos. And I know what that, what that means is to break down the barriers between groups. And, and that makes sense. But in some respects, silos are healthy. Like those individual teams give us a home. There's a reason that we created them in the first place. Uh, for example, an engineering team, well, we can share knowledge. Like we're, we're talking a similar language um, we can, we appreciate each other. Like that's our home. Like it, it, it's, that's our place in the world, if you will. So it's, we don't really want to break that down. We want to strengthen that, have that be as strong of an engineering team as we possibly can with all the behaviors that go along with that. But we want to connect that to other silos, if you will. And that's probably not the right word, but connect that to other teams so that information is flowing freely between teams, but we want those strong individual units as well. We want the best of, of both worlds. So I think it's more about how do we connect the, 
the silos, how we connect the units instead of breaking those down, I think is a helpful perspective to look at it a little differently because breaking down the silos isn't working. We still have those out there all over the place. Yeah. I love that. And I, and I like that idea of you have a home base. And so some of the work we also do is about really creating psychological safety and transforming work team culture and, and both psychological safety and culture actually reside at that team level. So if you don't have that home base, right, where you can go back and kind of have your, have your community or have your whatever, and then know how to play well with others. I, I think that would be really unsettling and people might even be floundering more or where do I belong or where do I fit in in this organization? Like we need some kind of home base. So I love the way that you're, you're thinking about that. Yeah. And I, I think you could even, so, so if I'm a manager or project manager or somebody like I have this team, like take some responsibility to build that, build the right behaviors, the psychological safety. Absolutely. And the other nuance to that, I think is there's a lot of teams now that are cross-functional matrix teams, ramp them up, bring them down quickly. Um, like we're in, most people are in multiple teams, two, three, four, five teams. Executives are in five or more teams that they meet with and work with. So in some sense as well, at a higher level, we really need a cohesive framework and language. Like what does it mean to be a team? You know, how do we create that psychological safely? What behavior should we expect? So no matter what team I'm I'm working with, even if it's a temporary team, it, it's, you know, I know what I'm going to expect. We know what the expectations are and hold teams accountable for that, even if they are cross-functional temporary teams. And so I think that's a nuance in addition to what we were just talking about, where I've, I've got that home base. I've got that place I feel safe. That's my home, if you, if you will. Absolutely. It, it reminds me of, I think, I don't know if Simon Sinek coined this, but I know he's said this, where he says, you know, a group of people does not make a team. So, yeah. so, right. So just because like you might have your home base team, but like you talk about, I know many of the uh, formal people, leaders and executives that I work with, like, yeah, they have their executive team that makes decisions for the organization, but then they are on cross-functional teams. Like there's a strategic planning group here, or maybe they have strategic alliances with other organizations. And so they have work group teams here. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, how do you, how do you form those as teams where people can work effectively together? Um, maybe it has a different function, but they, yeah, they need to do that. And then they have to be able to play well with all the other teams and everyone kind of going in that same, same direction. Right. If you want that to be a strong team and have, and have great performance. I mean, even a lot of talks today about, you know, let's take like diversity. How can you have diversity if you don't have psychological safety, trust, even conflict in teams where, where it's okay to have an opposing voice and a different opinion and so forth. That's why, that's why this is so important. There's multiple reasons why it's important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with that, you, again, I love that you give very concrete examples and you have a whole host of resources that go with the book that people can go with. So making it super tangible and applicable, which I love. So this is probably a good transition to you talk about five transformative actions where the power is unleashed within teams. Can you speak a little bit to them? Um, yes. So, so I wanted to make it a little more concrete, not just the variables, but like, what do we actually do? Like, what are some concrete actions that leaders can take, managers can take to, to put this into action? And then what I tried to do is give some concrete ways for them to do that. Um, so each variable comes with a transformative action. So take the first one, for example, like the destination. And this is one I wrestled with a little bit, Rosie. Like, what is, 
like, what do we need to do with the definition? I came up with simplify. I think that's the word is to simplify the destination. And I use the example in a, in the book of where I use some, some flying examples in the book. Cause I, cause I had my pilot's license and, you know, that's just me. That's just, I love, that's one of the things I love doing. And there's this maneuver that we did where we would, my instructor would pick a, a field down in the or pick a house down this field and told me to circle around that. And I was supposed to circle around that and stay the exact same distance around that, the exact same altitude all the way around that. Long story short, like that's what we need. Like, so it didn't matter how much turbulence there was or how much wind there was. I had that. It was so simple. I knew to, that was my reference point. And that's the type, that's the level of simplicity that we need that every person in the organization needs to know exactly where we're going and how I connect with that. And I think a lot of people are confused. Like oh, yeah. there's, there's, a, there's a five or six page list of strategic priorities, for example. Like that's not simple, that's complex. I don't know how to be a part of that. Or yeah. everything is important. Like, you know, with Patrick Lencioni, he, he says, if everything's important, nothing's important. Yep. Or yeah, I get it, but I don't really know how our team fits into that or how my work, work fits into that. So it's got to be so simple in people's minds. So that's one of the transformative actions. That's an example of. Yeah, I, well, I love that. And it does make me think like some of some of the organizations I work with, they have these there's nothing wrong with them. They've got these great strategic plans. And like you said, all these different priorities. And then what happens is then they've got all these different owners of that section of the plan and they're off like doing their own thing. And there's all kinds of work going on, which is good work. But to your point, it goes back, well, what is, what are we ultimately trying to do with these strategic priorities? What are we ultimately trying to accomplish with these objectives for the next year? And so one of the things that um, that you mentioned in your book that I also love from from Pat Lencioni's work is the rally cry. Like, okay, you know right. what? Yes, here's our mission. Here's our purpose. Here's our values. This is who we're trying to be in the world. And for the next six months or the next quarter or this next year, like this is our rally cry. What is the one thing we can all get behind? And then that then is that that lighthouse, if you will, for my respective department. Oh, okay. How am I going to be safer or how am I going to improve communication or what are the processes that we need to evolve and shore up to be able to better do whatever that rally cry is? And so I think when you talk about simplify, it's, yeah, can you make it really clear so that no matter who you are in your organization, you get like, this is what we're trying to do. And this is how my piece of the puzzle fits in so that I have fulfillment and meaning in my work. Cause otherwise I feel like I'm just here. What I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, filling up time. Like if I don't know that my work matters, that it's really easy to disengage. Yep. That's exactly right. I need to know ultimately where we're going. I need to know what's important right now to the organization. And then I need some, I I need a, an immediate objective for our team of how we're going to support that. Yep. And you know, one of the things, and I would love your thoughts on this. One of the things that I will say to groups and teams that I work with, because again, going back to, we're going to blame the circumstances. Well, you know what, if the executive leadership team is, you know, has a gajillion priorities and hasn't simplified it for us, or we're not clear, well, then we're just going to sit back and keep doing the status quo, or we're going to rebel, or we're not going to, you know, play nice because we don't have to, because they're not doing their job. And, and I always go, you know what, if you don't have that clarity, we have a responsibility, I feel like to ask for the clarity that we need so that I know, okay, what, how does this serve this? And sometimes asking that question is transformative in and of itself, because like, let's say your leader doesn't know, well, can you go get that clarity or, you know, they might go, gosh, I have no idea. And they're trying to effectively lead their team. So 
I think that there's a way we can also use that to lead up if that is absent or not as clear or strong as it could be in an organization. I think that's really good, Rosie. I think that's a great perspective. Yeah. And, and some of the leaders, it may be clear to them, but they may not even realize that it's not clear to the person a couple levels down. Be like, well, yeah, don't you know what? Well, no, I don't know. Right. So I think that that's great. It could provide clarity and make sure that they're clear and expose for them that there is some clarity or, or a lack of clarity. And yeah. the other thing I think that somebody could do, not I think that they should do is if there's not that clarity, because how many, I mean, honestly, well, you, I'll ask you, like how many times is that clarity just not exist? Like it's just not there despite our best. Oh, I would say the majority of the time, because that's part of the work I do is helping extrapolate that out. Like, what is this? And have you translated that and communicated that? And usually there's like a deer in headlight look. So I would say, I don't think it exists very often, unfortunately. So if I'm sitting down as a manager or project manager, and yes, I'm trying to get that, but I don't, you know, it's still not clear. Well, how can I still, to your point, I can sit back and put, throw my hands up. That's one reaction, but why not do my best to create clarity for my team best I can? Like, this is what's important right now. This is what our team's objective. Here's where I see the organization going and, and how we can fit in with what, with the conversations I'm having at least and create as much clarity for the team as possible, at least even if I don't have it 100% as to where the organization's going. Yeah, you could say like with the information that I have or with what I know or what I've been able to learn, this is how I'm seeing it. So let's go with that at least, right? And know that it, it could evolve. Um, yeah, because- I think that especially the, I mean, the larger and more complex an organization gets, that's even more so, but I even see it happen in small organizations where, you know, and people aren't clear. And I think this gets into uh, a vulnerability piece and and a psychological safety piece. If I'm not clear, but if I view asking for clarity or saying I'm not clear as a weakness, because I think that everyone else is clear and I should be, that's a problem. Or if I, and I know you talk about the individual transformative actions in the book as well. So it's not just, I need to be whole and I need to you know, take care of myself and not be burned out and all those types of things. But it's also, have I done the work to realize that it's an act of courage to actually be vulnerable enough to say, Hey, time out, I'm not clear here, or I need help or what the heck are we doing here? And I don't think enough people do that either. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's well, I think we could both agree it's easier to throw up my hands and not worry about it. Right. Right. It's it's easier. Yeah. It's absolutely easier. And I love that, you know, but we need it. Um, you know, I just, I just finished reading another book about courage in the workplace and just, there's so much data, whether it's, you know, you look at whatever the sources, I mean, you cite various studies and Deloitte and other work in your book, and there's so many books out there, but I think if we try to ignore the fact that our world is, getting consistently more and more disruptive, consistently more and more complex. It's not going to get less complex or slow down or have less change anytime soon. And so it's, we've got to reconcile that the world is demanding stuff of us. The world is demanding us to show up at a different level than maybe we did five or 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. But then we've got our human DNA that like, isn't quite there yet. And so talk about a gap. We need to shore up that gap of how do we equip people to actually show up and effectively meet the challenges that this VUCA disruptive, you know, fill in the blank world is, is asking of us and demanding of us really. Yeah. I think you're right, Rosie. I believe that if it's not the number one skill, 
one of the number one skills for leaders going forward here is going to be how do I get people working together? Yeah, yeah. Well, and that, that's a great segue as you talk about this towards towards the latter part of your book. And you actually say, in these times of change, uncertainty, and new generations in the workforce, we need a breed of new leaders. We need leaders who don't believe that they have to be in total control at all times, but who understand that it's courageous to be vulnerable. Leaders who don't always have to be right, but who understand that their team members know more than they do. Leaders who don't need to get credit, but who are satisfied with the success of their team and their customers. Leaders who don't lose sleep over their own success, but lose sleep over the success of the people on their team. Leaders who recognize that it's no longer about them, but empowering others. You've done your uh, homework, Rosie. Uh, of course I did. But <laughs> I'm I, impressed. I was like clapping. Like, I look, at, I have it highlighted. Like, I was clapping and I was like, yes, right? Because that's like, I feel like, I mean, of all of the consulting work we do, building organizational health and helping with, you know, rally cries and strategic priorities and all the stuff that that is similar to what you do, I would say the bigger piece that has shown up in recent years and really even over the past year, because I think the pandemic woke people up to this, is that formal people leaders are not equipped to do this well. Like they were trained how to do goal setting and, mm-hmm. you know, communicate and maybe give difficult feedback. Like what, um, what Bob Anderson and Bill Adams call the outer game of leadership, but they were yeah. not developed to deal with the inner game of leadership of, you know, of building courage skills and being vulnerable and being self-aware and pausing and building emotional intelligence and all of those things. So that side of our work has just like, exploded because people are realizing, holy moly. And I would say to go with that from the team-based level, if you have a leader who has a strong inner game, but the team members don't, you're also going to still have all those silos and stuff. So I just, I just love everything about that because I think it's not just the formal people leaders. When you say we need new leaders, we really need to look at, are we, are we developing people within an organization to be able to do this? Right. Right. Yeah. I totally agree with you, Rosie. And, and, Tell me what you think about this. I've been thinking about this a lot lately is that um, some of what I think is we put so much emphasis on what other people think or how we're going to be perceived or what the result of this might be. Because I know I was like that. I mean, I still am, right? Who's not? Right. Um, But man, that just drove me for so long. And once you let go of that and you're like, okay with the outcome, and you're okay with what's going to happen and not worry about what's going to happen or what the outcome is. Just do what's right and what's best. It's so freeing. And then it frees up everybody, everybody else. I don't know. Do you, do you agree with that? Is that? Oh, a hundred percent. And anyone that knows me, you know, I'm a huge Brene Brown fan and was able to train with her in 2019. And so I, I leveraged her work a lot. And one of the things that she says that I wholeheartedly agree with that goes along with what you say is it is in our human nature to care what other people think. Like the only people who don't are like narcissists mm-hmm. and sociopaths. I mean, truly, right? But it's when we're defined by it, we lose our capacity to lead. And so, oh, so like when she uses the metaphor of the arena, she talks about like, why are you paying attention to the cheap seats or that we spend all kinds of time trying to hustle for our worth or approval of people whose opinions really don't matter versus like, you know, there's a small amount of people whose opinions actually really matter. And those are the people who will give us feedback and tell us when we're being a butthead and illuminate our blind spots for us and really help us become a better version of ourselves. And those are the people we want to listen to versus 
you know, the cheap seats, the internet trolls, those types of things. And so I, yeah, I think you're right. And I think that, you know, on a day in day out basis, do I have thoughts of like, Oh, what are they going to think? And then you kind of get grounded. And this is where, like, if you know your own core values, like if I know who I'm trying to be in the world and I know my core values, instead of getting caught up in what other people think I can ground myself and say, if I'm showing up and aligned with who I authentically am, then you know what? Not everyone's going to like me and that's okay. I know that I am, you know, being authentic. I know I'm trying to make a difference here. And I think that that, that, that is the key. If we haven't done that work to get clear about who we are, who we're trying to be, we have guideposts that tell us when we're in and out of alignment and we, and we are paying attention to the people's whose opinions matter. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that, I think that is the huge difference. And I mean, age certainly comes with that, but I know people who are my age or older and they still are all wrapped up in what people think. I mean, I do this coaching day in, day out, and it's trying to help them rewind that narrative of like, you're making up stories in your head, first of all. And secondly, like, you know, do you really think you're all that plus a bag of chips that everybody's like worried about you? They're running out worried about themselves. Um, yeah, right. And then right. third, it's who, who are you trying to gain the approval of? And do they really matter? So I don't know, that's a long-winded, but I absolutely 100% agree with that. Yeah, I think that's a game changer, what you what you just said. If I can use an example, what hits home for me, like I, I coach basketball as well. And so like on the sideline, like, like, this is, like this is what I think of when you say that. Like if I'm on the sideline and I'm thinking about what the parents are going to be thinking or how they're going to be looking at the strategy on the floor or what we're like, I know I'm going to screw up as a coach, like doing something and think back, Oh, we could have done this better. But if I'm thinking about that, that does the, the girls I coach a tremendous disservice and they feel that, but if I'm just coaching on, on the people that matter, what, what you just said to reinforce what you just said, then it's freeing for them. And it's a much better team environment because I've got better, a better motive. That's what I think about. That's what resonates yeah. for me when you say that. Like it's a it's a real impact what you're saying. Yeah. It affects the people around you and it affects your fulfillment in life. 100%. Well, plus the other thing that brings up is like you're being fully present like with with the girls you're coaching or with the team. If right. you're off somewhere else, first of all, you can't be effective coaching, but you're going to miss nuances, you're going to miss cues. Yeah. Like, you know, being right. fully present with people is the best gift we can give them. Mm-hmm. And we can't do that if our brain is distracted of, but what are they going to think of me or what are those people going to think of me? Yep. Cause I can be physically there, but not actually present. Oh, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So that is a great segue. So uh, what I love to do in my podcast is kind of shift shift gears a little bit and ask everyone some questions to kind of normalize the human experience that we all do some of this stuff and just to convey some insights and, and wisdom, plus see more of the human side of, of our guests as well. So question I love to ask everybody. Um, so for you, Mark, is what is a self-limiting story that you tell yourself and how do you move beyond it when it shows up so that you can still show up as a leader? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, oh no, I don't have any self-limiting stories. <laughs> You're a robot. You're <laughs> not I mean, a human. I have I to actually it. like, you know, <laughs> like do what we just talked about. What do you, what do you mean? No, I'm just yeah. kidding. Um, I, I think the self-limiting story, as I was thinking about that is like, I'm not good enough. Um, like, um, you know, I've always had that, or I've often had that in my, in my head, like wanting to look good for other people, because in my head, it's like, I'm not really good enough to, 
to do that. Um, in fact, that is what kept me from writing a book for a long time. It's like, well, people aren't going to like it or who am I to write a book? You know, I, yep. I haven't done this or I haven't done that. I'm not like this person. I need to wait a few more years to, to do that. But then, then someone was like, well, look at all the things you have done. Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, shoot. Yeah, I'm doing it again. It just keeps popping up. It's like that little voice on my, on my shoulder that says, you know, that keeps telling my, telling me that. And I feel like I'm a lot better at not listening to it, but it still pops up, but it was very loud for a, for a long time. And part of that, I think is because um, like, we all have stories we all have hardships in our life, right? Like my father passed away when I was a, a teenager. And so like that stays with you, right? And you want to earn his approval and you want to earn other people's approval. So I think that certainly plays into that, but um um, but writing the book actually was a very, like, it was one thing to write the book, but it was another thing to go through the process of setting some of those things aside, some of those self-limiting thoughts and belief aside and saying, you know what, not everyone's going to like this. That's okay. You know, it may turn out to be like amazing. It may turn out to be a dud, whatever, That that's okay. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to pour myself into it and serve and and do my best. So that actually was one way for me to get past some of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and first of all, I, this is what I say to a gajillion of my coaching clients, but congratulate yourself on being human because that not enough voice is so universal and happens all the time. So besides the book, I guess if that shows up of like, Oh, I'm not good enough here. Or oh, they're going to think that I don't know what I'm talking about or whatever. Is there some kind of practice or self-talk or mantra or something that you say that kind of gets you out of that, you know, that thinking mode? Well, um, not necessarily mantra or self-talk, but, um, um, but reading, like reading scriptures and, and things like that, because I have a fundamental belief in, uh, in God. And, and so coming back to that repeatedly is, is something that grounds me, if you will. Like, it's not me, it's something bigger than me. Got it. So that, for me, to answer your question is, that's what it is. That's what I keep coming back to. Got it, got it. A, a strong spiritual practice that works for you. That's awesome. So then this is a two-part question then. What is an impactful way that you are showing up as a leader, both at work and in your personal life these days? So at, at work these days, um, and, and, you know, it's, if I, if I could, it's interesting when you ask that question, Rosie, because that voice still wants to come up, right? Doesn't right. it? It's like, well, are you really making an impact? Like, what are you actually, actually doing? Right. So it's very yeah. interesting. It just wants to keep coming up. Um, I think an impactful way I'm showing up is as I'm talking with people or working with teams like I'm, I'm being more authentic. If that makes sense. Yep. Like, like I would say even in, in this really relates to the first question, but like 10 years ago, I'd be like, well, I don't really want to go there because they may not like it. Right. So I'm much more open to, um, and confident in 
just saying what I'm seeing and what I think they need, not so much worrying about what they're going to think about it. Um, because sometimes it's just obvious and they just need someone to, to say it and everyone's thinking it. Um, so I think that's a way to have impact at work or a way I'm having impact at work is being more authentic in and being real with what I'm seeing and what those, those teams need and being like, you know what? I'm not sure there's something not right here. I'm not sure what it is, but let's, I'll, I'll help you figure it out and being okay with not having to be the expert at, at everything being yeah. okay. If I'm not, I don't have all the answers. Yeah. Well, and what you're doing is what you just described is you're showing up as the leader you described that we need in our book, right? Like I don't have to have the answers. I, I, I can be curious. I can be real. I can set my ego aside. I can be authentic. So that's awesome. And I'm trying to, I don't want to make it sound like, oh yeah, I do that all the time. Right. But no, nobody does. Like, exactly. Real. Exactly. <laughs> like we still, but that's what I'm trying to do. Right. And if not now, when, like, I don't want to be 70, 80 years old and be like, oh man, I wish I would have shown up more authentically and not worried about all that. I just don't want to do that. And as I get older, it's like that becomes more and more of a, a motivation. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Not that I'm old, but <laughs> no, 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 no. No. I, I just had a birthday and I'm like, I, it's an, it's a something anniversary of my 29th birthday. We're not going to talk about what, what exactly anniversary right. it is, but anyway, so. next week. <laughs> <laughs> holding steady. My, my grandma on my mom's side, we called her mama because everyone's from the South, but mama died at the ripe age of 93, but she swore she was 39. And I'm like, mama, you have grandkids that are that doesn't work anymore. Can you at least right. be 49 or can you at right. least be 59? Come on. That's right. So anyway, right. awesome. Well, so this is a great segue into the last section, which is a quick question section. Um, if you're game for it, just um, some of them, they start out a little bit more thoughtful and then they get kind of silly and fun just to, why not? Right. Go for it. Okay. Fill in the blank. Living authentically is. Not being worried about what other people think. Yes. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? Take action anyway. Love it. When's the last time you were courageous and how did you show up? Ooh, when's the last time I was courageous? Hey, I thought those, these are supposed to be quick hit questions. Are these they started, they, they will, they, they are quick, but you know, they'll, yeah, they'll okay. get a little more. When's the last time I was courageous and how did I show up? Oh boy, that's a great question. Um, I think it might have been um, related to basketball actually. And despite having a completely losing, not a completely losing season, but because it was our first year, but it was actually a winning season and not quitting and not getting discouraged and seeing the rewards from that. Nice. I love that because how often are things not going our way? And it's so easy to just give up or get discouraged or get into like a shame spiral versus no, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep going. So I think that's hugely courageous. I love that. Okay. Here's the transition. Not, not so, not so hard. What's something people would be surprised to know about you? People would be surprised to know that um well they know i'm from wisconsin maybe they don't know i'm from wisconsin and i love cheese like my kids my kids tease me because i love to put cheese on everything 
<laughs> we just went to Wisconsin a couple weeks ago and we got cheese curds, right? So I'm trying to, I'm really trying to be good and cut back on that, but they tease Fresh me. ones that squeak? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess they weren't, they weren't at a dairy. So I don't know if they're oh. fresh, fresh, but yeah, the ones that squeak a little bit, those are, those are amazing. I have to tell you, so speaking, speaking of cheese curds, so I'm from Minnesota and I was like, I'll, I'll forgive you that you're a Packers fan, but that's Uh-oh. fine. No, but, but, um, you know, I like the only time I ever had cheese curds was like some fried crap at a state fair. And I hated it. I was like, Ugh. Oh, and this yeah. was many years ago. I was, uh, traveling with another consultant for a client and we went by a creamery in Wisconsin and he was like, have you ever had cheese curds? I'm like, I hate cheese curds. He goes, no, you haven't had like fresh cheese curds. And I know he was messing with me because he didn't like, he knew that they would squeak, but I didn't. So I put it in my mouth and I'm like, is it supposed to squeak? I feel like I'm <laughs> chewing a dog toy. Right. Like what is happening? Right. That's, because that's right. why, you know, they're fresh. They squeak. Right. I'm like, Oh, anyway. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so the next one is one of my favorite like icebreakers. So you can use this at your next team gathering or whatever. I call it the four C's. So if money and reality were no object, what car would you want to have and drive? What country would you want to visit? What cuisine would you want to eat? And it does not have to be related to the country at all. And what celebrity living or dead would you want to eat that cuisine with? So I'm a pretty simple, pretty simple dude. So car, like, you know, I just love a good solid like SUV. So, so probably like one of those solid Jeeps would be uh would be a car like real fancy car i'm not a big fan of fancy stuff so so something like that or a land rover or something like that country um i would love to visit scandinavia um i've been to i went to europe once but i'd love to be like um uh, norway uh denmark uh sweden so that, that would be the country because, because I have some answers, ancestry there and it's beautiful and cold and too far North, but that's not <laughs> yeah. cuisine. Can I say cheese, something with cheese again? I was going to say, it's got to have cheese. Come on. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because, you know, cuisine, there's all, you know, all these different cuisines, which are good, but man, just give me a good burger with a bunch of cheese on it. And I am happy as, as anything. All right. So who are you going to eat the burger with cheese with? Who am I going to eat the burger with cheese with? I would say either um, uh, Billy Graham or or a leader from the past, like Dwight Eisenhower or um, Theodore Roosevelt or Boy, now I forgot his name. Who's the other Roosevelt? Franklin Roosevelt. Yeah, you know, like somebody yeah. that was like went through a hard time. Like, what was it? What was it like? How did they lead through that? That would be very, very interesting. Nice. All right. Your favorite go-to movie. My favorite go-to movie has to be um, either Lord of the Rings or Band of Brothers. Nice, nice. We've watched many of the trilogy of Lord of the Rings in our house for sure. Your go-to song is? You know, I don't know if I have a go-to song. It depends on my mood for the day. Sometimes I love classical music, sometimes country, sometimes other stuff. It just, it, I don't have a go-to song. Got it. Depends on your mood. It's all good. It does. It does. So what is your signature dance move? Oh boy. I don't have very many, so that can't be too hard. <laughs> um, 
oh boy, you know what? I'm not a very good dancer, but I do love swing dancing. I can't say I'm very good at it. I, I'm not even sure exactly what the signature move would be, but you know, like some of the stuff at, at weddings now, like what are some of the songs at weddings that the Macarena, that's it. <laughs> How about that? Can we do that? Oh my God. Wow. 1990s are coming back. We're going to do Macarena. Well, you know. Oh, I love it. Okay. In another life, your job or career would be? A pilot. I can tell that from your book. I almost did that as a career and uh, I don't regret not doing that, but sometimes I look up and I wish I was doing that. Nice. I say something lightly because it doesn't have to be a thing, but what's something you can't live without? Um my faith and my family nice those two things that's okay that's all right something in your and and the green bay packers oh no (laughs) they can't see but i put some green he just put some crazy shades on that have packer logos on them i didn't know you were a vikings fan but i just happen to have these well i'm not really a vikings fan i live in minnesota but i mean come on like they're i'm a fair weather fan they suck most of the time so whatever it's fine Okay. okay Something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy. People can't see me, but I look to the right outside the window is our driveway. I'm going out there after dinner and playing basketball with my daughter. Nice. That's fantastic. And last but not least, what are you grateful for right now? I am grateful for, um, you know, through all we've been to through the last couple of years, so I have four kids, three boys and a, and a girl, and my kids are going out there and they're kind of finding their place. And I'm, I'm grateful that they're, they're doing that. Like, like they're doing it right. They're, they're figuring it out. Some of them took longer than others. And, and, and one's figuring out a little bit, taking a little longer to figure out than the others, but, but I'm grateful that they're going forward and not backward, despite the last couple last 18 months. I would say as a parent, man, that's almost the best you can hope for. Right. So that's awesome. That's fantastic. So I, I want to, I want to wrap up with literally the closing from your book and then see if you have any final thoughts. Cause I just think this is such, so, so very awesome and such a very telling thing. So you say, if you do the same things that you are doing now, the future will look like today. You'll reach the same destinations in the same way. If you reach them at all. But if you take different steps, different actions, if you look at organizational teamwork multidimensionally, you will get to the correct destination faster, easier, and together. The distance between not working together and working together is not the gulf that we think it to be. It starts with taking one small action step today. My challenge to every leader is to create a world of organizational teamwork where every person and every team works together cohesively to both achieve significant objectives and to create an environment that is flourishing for everyone involved. So if you are going to impart one small action step that you would like to see people take, what would that be? You know, you've asked me a few things and I, for one thing I've given you two, I'm going to give you two. One would be to just decide not to be satisfied with the way things have been like to commit to making a difference in the world by bringing people together. I mean, we need that more than, more than anything. Um, And two would be to go have a conversation with your team, you know, whoever it is that you're leading, even if you're not officially a manager, 
and ask some good questions about where are we going? Where do we want to be in a year, two years, three years? And are, is what we're doing now going to get us there? I love that. That's something that anybody can do regardless of the role. So easy, Mark, it has been such a pleasure and I love the work you're doing and I'm super excited to stay, stay connected and collaborate. And just thank you. Thank you for, thank you for writing this book and getting out of your own way. Thank you for the work that you're doing and thank you for being here today. You're welcome. And thank you. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for the work you're doing. Thanks for taking the time to interview me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to show up as a leader. If you haven't yet subscribed, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. I'm Rosie Ward, and you can find me online at drrosieward.com, where you'll be able to sign up for my newsletter, check out the books I'm reading, and hear from the people I'm talking to. You can also get more information on what I'm up to professionally, including my coaching and speaking services. You can also find me on LinkedIn at rward, Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Rosie Ward, or email me at rosie at drrosieward.com. And I just want to remind you to remember that you have the choice every day to show up as a leader. So choose courage over comfort, embrace your humanity, and never, ever dull your sparkle. Take care, everyone.